This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. The familiar sound of Mr. Booker. Welcome back, Adam. I mean, you had some time away from the mic last week when I was joined by Ollie and Alex. But I saw some lovely photos of you up what looked like an extremely tall mountain, looking extremely adventurous in some extremely uh, sort of mountaineering clothing with your your face covered and stuff like that. It it looked like you had some really good fun. Tell everyone, because I know a little bit, but I don't know a lot, but tell everyone what what have you been doing the last week or so. Uh, Yeah, I had my my dad in town. We're both big outdoorsmen. um, (laughs) And we did some hiking at, backpacking at Mount Hood, which is a mountain near me. I think you said it's, what, 3,500 meters? Yeah. I believe is the the research you found. Yeah, yeah, that is strictly from Wikipedia, but that's what I was told. Um, I wouldn't say I had some really good fun. My 56-year-old father was absolutely cooking me up like ridges and stuff. (laughs) And I was like, he was genuinely not stopping for breaks. And I was like keeled over on every tree that I could find, like catching my breath and eating and drinking. Um, But it was, uh, it was, it was great. I mean, it's, you know, the middle of summer, 90 degrees back at home, but we're in a place with snow. So um, it was cool. So, so how how far away is this uh, mystical Mount Hood from your only, city of Portland? Only an hour, but you go up. So it's like we're at Portland, we're at sea level. Um, mm. And 
Mount Hood is 10,000 feet above sea level. Yeah, quite literally not at sea level. Yeah, and um, so you drive about 45 minutes, and then you just start going straight uphill. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we woke up at – I woke up at about 4 a.m. one morning, and it was pitch black outside, but I could go walk about 10 feet from our tent and see this, like, just – big shining mountain in the pitch blackness wow. because it was because it had snow on it so it was pretty wow. pretty awesome experience but um it kicked my ass yeah so it looked like you had a lot of fun and, and i guess just nice to sort of unplug for a bit i was getting messages on the daily um at random time saying have i missed any city news what's going on blah 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 and, and yeah it looked like you had a whole load of fun well i was set for not quite as adventurous but i was set for a fantastic bank holiday weekend because it's uh you know what we're like us brits we don't like to work so it's been another another holiday this weekend um i was seeing some mates in manchester on friday that was lovely had the city match on saturday of course and then for, for my Sunday offering, I'd had for months and months booked uh, tickets to, to the cricket at Old Trafford, only for England to go and win the game early, meaning my tickets for Sunday's game, uh, sorry, Sunday's match, day four of the test match, rendered meaningless, which was a mighty shame for me. I've just been sat here today doing nothing. I've not had anything to do. Hang on. So you had tickets to a cricket match. <laughs> You didn't end up needing the tickets because your team won. Instead of like they didn't get knocked out of something, they won, nope. but therefore they, they didn't the play anymore because. Yeah. All right. So it's it's a, it's a test match, which means it's five days or a maximum of five days. Um, each team gets two innings each, and England, obviously my team, um, they they won it by an innings, meaning the runs they accumulated in their first innings, were greater than those of combined between who was South Africa, who were the team, both of those combined, meaning that they didn't have to play anymore. And when you say they're playing over five days, is it like a couple of hours each day? Absolutely not. So it will start, now it is very much weather affected, but on a sort of dry few days where there's no rain, it will start at 11am and usually finish around 6.30pm. So it's full day. So it's five full days of that. That's why it's called a Hang test on. match. You guys love to complain about American sports being slow moving and taking <laughs> a long time. I've never sat through an NFL game in which I had to eat three meals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are. It is called. You do have lunch and tea. That's what the breaks are. But um, it is. It is distinctly unique, and it is only one form of cricket. I mean, we have we have games of cricket that last two or three hours if that I mean there's one going on at, at the moment which is literally three hour game both sides done and dusted um so so there is plenty of formats but for test matches which is the oldest form of the game it is very much like you know Victorian times and and, and it has stood the test of time but I tell you what it is some of the most exciting entertainment I've had at sports matches which seems like an oxymoron but genuinely it it, it does get really really good I mean you only really know when you experience it but yeah I was uh, I was mightily disappointed with that but hey ho at least uh, at least Saturday wasn't ruined for obvious reasons and we'll use that as a nice segue to pick up on the football then obviously City coming from behind again I mean underline uh, uh put that in italics again it's starting to come a little bit of a trademark against crystal palace 4-2 victory we'll start with the positives obviously because you know us two two sprightly blokes we like to we like to uh, 
bring the optimism to your ears, but I feel like we need to spend some time on the negatives a little bit later on. Um, there's no real starting point other than Erling Haaland. Is there a 19-minute hat-trick to help turn the game on its head? Obviously, with that uh, Bernardo deflected goal as well, but, but he really was the standout man and a prime example for me as to why City went big on acquiring his signature because that's the game where it doesn't really matter how you play as long as you've got a player like him with the with the nous for goals you're always going to be in the game yeah i mean that's spot on and you know it was one of those games in which we're going to use this phrase to death but the the phrase of oh last year city don't turn that one around um you know and, and the three holland goals for me they were just the epitome of him as a striker. You know, mm-hmm. one goal is pure positioning, waiting at the back post to tap home. One is a, a superb header. He darts in between the two center backs, get, gets on the end of the Phil Foden cross. And another in which, you know, the kind of trademark Holland goalies played in from a ball with, from midfield, drags the defenders with him and then scores. Um, so we saw, you know, the full range of his abilities. Um, and, Yes, it feels like this comeback is starting to become a trademark city thing, but it is worth mentioning that that's the first time in the club's history in the Premier League era that we've turned around a two-goal halftime deficit. Mm, We've obviously turned around other two-goal deficits in very, very big games, but never when we were 2-0 down at halftime. Um, It almost seems like that's actually less impressive than than turning around a two-goal deficit later in the game, but... um, But yeah, I mean, with Holland, um, the fact that he can sometimes score a goal from nothing that gets you back into games. And and that's why, you know, it seems like he has become the man that has spurred on these these runs of comebacks. But, you know, City have that aura about them now. Yeah, they, they certainly do. I mean, we had uh, on Monday night, you'd have missed it. Oh, were you around for, you must have been around for Liverpool United. You, you saw that, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to. Anyway, it's, it's tenuous. I was going to speak about the aura of Van Dyke and how that was being banded about, obviously, ironically, but but there is an aura, a real aura around this city team. And I mean, I said we got into negatives later on. I'm picking up on it straight away because I am a miserable bastard. But there was a lot of sort of talk about how it is a little bit negative. Is it a warning sign? Is it a worry that City have gone sort of four of the last six Premier League games? We've gone two goals behind. And I really do think it is. That's something that has to be watched. But. On the other hand, I feel like every single one of those games is a completely different circumstance. Obviously, the first one of those six being West Ham away, which was a car crash, like genuinely one of the worst performances under Pep Guardiola in that first half. The defending was was abysmal. Then Aston Villa, final day of the season, emotions are high, wasn't the greatest of performances, but you put it under the fact that, you know, football can be like that sometimes. Um, Newcastle, a really, really good team, really good performance and deserves to be ahead, you know, City were poor. But again, with this Crystal Palace game, both goals, I mean, you you can make an argument, obviously, for the, the Cancelo being elbowed in the face and that one shouldn't have counted anyway. And I don't understand how that that first one's gone in. Uh, uh, anyway, you know, it's a, it's an absolute. It's not a freak of nature, but it, a double deflection doesn't exactly happen all the time, and it isn't exactly like Palace tore City to shreds. Um, but yeah, going back to the main point here about Erling Haaland and how he can just provide a catalyst for a comeback like he did against Crystal Palace um, at the weekend. For me, that you mentioned it, the movement for the header is so impressive to get across his man like that, and, and I've seen. 
quite wrongly seeing people sort of labeling his hat trick as a as a, a nothing sort of free goals, you know, an easy hat trick. Granted, the the second one, a tapping at the back post, is one of the easiest still score in a city shirt. But but that first one, I'm just so impressed the way he gets across the defender because that's. I mean, anyone who's played football knows that's so hard to do because because defenders, you know a big burly defender like Crystal Palace had, they just get across you, but to, to actually create the space for yourself. And then whilst we're speaking of the strength, uh, the strength, sorry, to shrug off the defender and actually, I think it was Joel Ward, literally put him on his ass, face in a different way, finished with such confidence, uh, almost to the point where the goalkeeper didn't move at all. It's a sight to behold. And I feel it's a real culture shock compared to the the way City have played the last couple of years and also the types of goals City have scored. Everything's been almost created to perfection. Now City are just playing three balls, right, go and score. Or back post, there you go, tap it in. Or header across the ball. You know, it, it, it does feel like a little bit of a culture shock the way City are playing and creating some of these goals. Yeah, it does. And, you know, obviously there's been a lot of the talk about, you know, Holland being the first true number nine at the club since Sergio Aguero, but Holland is still so different. And and yes, he's got the poachers mentality. We saw that. And I think it was his first goal, the the back post tap in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's always in the, in the right place like Sergio Aguero was. But one thing Sergio Aguero didn't have was just a freak build. And that's yeah. what Holland has going for him. And when yeah. you co- when you combine the other things with that, then you're seeing a you know a generational goal scorer. Um, and you know it's worth mentioning that Palace does this to teams like regularly. They did it to Liverpool at Anfield either mm-hmm. last week or the week before that. Um, they're a very good team at being compact, hitting on the break, getting their goals, whether it's through set pieces or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I think if City are coming through these types of games with three points, um, that's a scary, scary prospect for the rest mm. of the league. And I think that's something worth talking about because, you know, it tends to be when City don't play very well, they don't get anything out of the game. It's been that way for a long time. Um, but if they start playing poorly, and winning games, it's almost impossible to see where they're going to drop points. And I don't, I'm not suggesting they're going to go invincible and blah, mm, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But back, back, even last season, two nil down after 30 minutes, I would have been, I would have confidently shut my, my TV off and said, <laughs> I don't need to see anymore yeah. because I know the outcome. Because, um, yeah, exactly. Because we'd seen it before, really, hadn't, yeah. hadn't we? And, and we would have known City would have created loads and loads and loads and it just wouldn't have gone in. That's the sort of, I mean, there is literally, a Crystal Palace home match from yeah, last season, which, which demonstrates it, yeah. And I mean, Laporte got sent off in that, so it's a little bit different, but I know exactly what you mean in the sense that I, I think genuinely you can make a case, bar Bournemouth, and I mean, Bournemouth showing this weekend sort of, I, I could go on a ramble about Premier League parachute payments and perhaps maybe we will at some point as to how they are crushing the competitiveness of the second division and teams coming up and down and up and down. Bournemouth, are as next to irrelevant for me in this season's Premier League that they they are genuinely woeful unless he can bring in I don't know Neymar in the final couple of days of the window but I could make a case for every single game this season bar Bournemouth where City don't win that or don't take points if it was last season yeah and you know we spoke earlier in the season about I think it was probably after probably after the Bournemouth game in which we said Oh great, City have started this season well. They don't normally start seasons well. We we tend to be, you know, 6th or 7th by game 
seventh or seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they haven't started this season well, but with the new X factors in the team, starting the season well means poor performances, but good results. And therefore, further down the line, it's good results and good performances. Mm. And that's scary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thinking back, I can't remember a sustained spell, bar maybe the last half an hour against Crystal Palace and, and maybe the, the the second half at times against West Ham, where City have got you sort of purring a little bit and saying, you know, this is super football. It, it's been attritional for most of it, to be honest, and it's just been about finding a way to, to get those results, which is a little bit frightening if you're not, obviously, of a City persuasion. Um, finally, then, before we move on from, from Erling Haaland, because... I feel like we're contractually obliged to speak about him sort of like at the top of everybody. He might not even play the next game, but but we'll still have to have conversations about him. And I just want to pick up on his celebrations because they they were brilliant. They, 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 it was like pure uh, sort of like grassroots football, little kid running around the park, running around the garden sort of stuff. I mean... I always find it a little bit disconcerting when we see these top world-class players score tons of goals and they hardly celebrate. I mean, you have one end of the extreme with Mario Balotelli, who <laughs> obviously the infamous uh, infamous line, I'm not a postman, it's my job. You know, he, the postman doesn't celebrate when he delivers the, the letters and delivers the mail. And then you've got Erling Haaland on Saturday who just let rip, didn't he, when he scored those goals. And it didn't matter if it was the... I, I can understand the, the 1v1. That was a superb goal. That was sort of like trademark Erlin, but even that back post tapping he was he was almost doing a lap of honor and I think that's how I'd be if I just scored one goal as a professional so it's uh, reassuring to see Erlin Haaland so obviously one of the best strikers in world football uh, operate like that as well yeah you know he seems to just be one of us and and in many ways yeah. he he was for one a while of us. one of us <laughs> and um you know but it's worth mentioning that he came into this season with so much negativity surrounding him from outside of the city world, you know, regarding mm-hmm. his ability to fit into the team, would he be able to cut it in the Premier League and and blah, 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 blah. Um, so I think that at least probably for the first half of this season, we will see those types of celebrations from him. I don't yeah. think this is a consistent thing. I think eventually he'll be scoring so much that it will be he'll be calmed down a bit but i think he's still in the mode of like yeah i'm gonna fucking show you 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 said i couldn't do this well let let me show you exactly what i can do um and i think you're kind of seeing that emotion and that attitude come out of him um and i love that from strikers like yeah yeah i love it's the one position on the pitch that i love when they score a goal that they celebrate in a way that's almost like like praise me look what i have done for you praise me and i love that with strikers yeah you have to be an egotist really to play that position don't you i mean i i think do you remember after the community shield game obviously that miss towards the end and and the narrative was nunez versus harland obviously nunez Mm. got his goal blah blah and he just did that little that little grimace didn't he after he missed that, that little laugh and you thought at that moment I mean that screenshot for me is probably going to be taught in schools for years to come Do you know it's like means? the it's like the the KDB lacing up his boots after yeah, Villa went 2-0 yeah, went exactly. up and it's like okay game over yeah. now yeah 200 years in the future the Manchester Art Gallery will have that sort of on a tapestry I mean <laughs> it was it, it was ominous really wasn't it when you looked at it and, and you thought right okay here we go. Here we fucking go. Um, 
but yeah, really good, really good start of Ireland. I mean, me and Ollie on the Newcastle review um, sort of went in all sort of school teacher mode and graded his start to the season. And, and Ollie gave, I think it was an A minus, six goals from what four games. I mean, seven goal contributions as well. It, it's a very, very good start for someone who probably is still. I mean, he had he had final point on him. Seven shots yesterday, xG of around one point four, which is. Kind of high, I think. You know, usually when you consider XG plays a, a, a scoring goals, but it's it's not usually that high. Maybe matches the the hat trick, um, but three shots on target. Do you feel like he? This sounds crazy, but do you feel like he could do more? Could he? Could he still go a little bit better? There were, there were a couple in the first half. One from a very tight angle. A header that was was kind of mistimed. Um, I can't remember the other other shot that that had gone wide or was saved or whatever, but. You do feel like there is still, which is petrifying, still a tiny little bit of room for improvement. In a way, yeah. Um, it's worth mentioning that if you go and watch him play at Dortmund, he had so much more space with the yeah. ball. And things are just so much more compact. And both because of the way that teams play against City and because of the way that City plays, you know, they're going to pin a, t- a team in deep. And when you look at his little chances in which I think it was he kind of rounded the keeper and then put the ball on the side netting yesterday. Um, yeah, yeah. And little things like that where he's playing in a lot less space. And mm-hmm. it was another one of those games in which he had eight touches, you know, the the classic mm-hmm. eight or seven touches, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But he had a hat trick. And it's like you can't have it both ways. You can't say he's not involved because he only had eight touches, but then he had a superb game because he had a hat trick amongst those eight touches. Mm-hmm. So it's either one or the other. And look, this is what he's going to do. He may not be involved for 90 minutes, but he's a game changer. And that's what that's City has been lacking. And that's why he's at the club. And that's that's all there is to say about him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 18 touches, actually. I mean, I don't, I don't think he'll be too pleased. Maybe it was eight completed passes was the right, stat. Right, yeah, yeah. Get him out, he's crap. Um, some more standouts from this fixture then. As usual, we stuck a, a tweet out after full time asking people for their talking points. We had loads of answers at City Report Pod if you want to get involved there. I'll read a couple of them out now then. Ek Lavia said, three at the back should be our go-to formation for the rest of the year. I, I mean, is that just 2022 or, or the entire season? I, I'm not sure. But um, they also added Julian Alvarez should be a starter every week as well. Uh, Rahul said we were not actually that bad slash good in the first half. Kevin De Bruyne must play on the right-hand side more and set pieces both attacking and defensively need looking at. And then Balogun added Bernie's a world-class winger, obviously Bernardo Silva being referenced there. And this team is grit personified. Everyone capitalised, is in trouble. Now, there are a few things to unpack there, but let's start with Bernardo Silva because as long as the window remains open, and it will be until Wednesday... No, first... I can't remember. Uh, this week. It's going to shut this week. We know <laughs> that. Um, unless Barcelona can find a way to pull another one of the levers and get it open for another a month or two, um, which they did, didn't they? With Martin Brathwaite that time. So I wouldn't be surprised True. if... They, I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they pulled something out. Um, but anyway, we, we won't know if Bernardo Silva is going to stay at City until it slams shut. There was that quote from Guardiola, Guardiola sorry, pre-match, obviously, speaker about how he said he's staying. But again, until the window's shut, 
and we see him in a city shirt again, we'll have our hesitancies. But I mean, what a boost this this man's been! It, it feels like a little bit of a new signing in a way, and and you would just probably assume at this point he leaves next season, just given the way it was meant to be last year. Now it was sort of rumored this year, but there was no finances available from Barcelona, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it, it feels like we're in the sort of the last season of Bernardo Silva, but. If ever there has been a model for a professional, the way he's handled it, so, uh, not not really kicked up a fuss. Obviously, that the desire was known, but has still turned out for City and probably two weeks in a row, bar maybe Haaland, best player on the pitch. Yeah, and and it is a huge boost if he stays, and that's looking likely. Um, and I just want to pick up on what Balogun said about him being a world class winger. I do really like him from a wide position. Um, especially in games in which our opponents sit really deep like Palace did. Um, But in some Champions League games and games against the likes of Liverpool and teams like that that may play on the front foot a bit more, I think he's really important in midfield. Um, because in those games, he tends to play a little bit closer to Rodri and he can help mm. plug things up. And, you know, that energy is really, really useful in there. But against the more compact teams, I think it is a good option, him out wide. Mm. Um, but I really, really want to stress the fact that him being a good option out wide against more compact teams is less, be- for me, less because, of, le- less because he's a good option out wide and more because I want to see Gundogan in the middle. And yeah, Bernardo yeah. being in the middle means that either Gundogan or Kevin is on the bench. Nine times out of the ten, that's going to be Gundogan. And Gundogan, with his late runs and his ability to find the little pockets of space in the box, so crucial. We saw that against Villa. We saw that against Newcastle. He's so important to teams that might sit deep. Um, and so, therefore, Bernardo Silva's you know kind of relegated to the wing, if you can call it that. Um, but either way... Um, it's multiple options and multiple looks in a team which going into the season, a lot of the fear was that they would be one dimensional, but mm. seeing Bernardo Silva back out onto the wing, that's, that's another dimension. Yeah. I mean, um, obviously there's, there's that famous quote um, from Pep Guardiola where he said multiple times, you know, if I could have 11 midfielders on the pitch, I would. And, and it feels as though City squad is, is eking towards, well, I mean, it was probably more like this last season, but it, it's definitely a point where there are a, a number of players who can play central midfield, but there's just not enough positions to I think he's, them. I think he's had that once, right, at City? I think it was yeah, uh, yeah, Palace yeah. away, in which it was yeah. Rodri, Fernandinho as a centre-back pairing. Zinchenko yeah. at left back, maybe a right back was in there. Yeah, maybe conventional, but even Kyle Walker. I mean, yeah, he's he's converted. Uh, well, some people would say no, but but yeah, definitely that there has been those times where there have been like eight central midfielders on the on the pitch. But yeah. with with Bernardo Silva out wide, I'm glad you picked up on on his positioning so far this season because. I think that's probably been where he he's been most effective. He, he changed the game in a way against Newcastle out there, um, and then and then was obviously uh, really influential against Crystal Palace. He kickstarted the 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 comeback, and it allowed for Gundogan's introduction. Which I mean, we'll, we'll get onto Ilkay in a second. But there was that period for me last season towards the back end of the campaign. I think there was a couple of big Champions League games when Bernardo Silva kept getting shifted out wide and it caused City some problems purely because of how influential he was in the middle. But right now, you feel that's probably his best position. And, and it's purely because, as you say, Ilkay Gundogan starts the season. And I know 
uh, I stuck a tweet out um, today or the day of the recording after the match and, and said, you know, Erling Haaland's introduction has really, really helped um, Ilkay Gundogan. And there's a few people saying, you know, Gundogan's been doing this for a number of years. Two seasons ago, he was the highest goal-scoring midfielder in Europe. He was City's top scorer as well. And that's true. But you have to also place that in the context that he's he's two years older. But also the positioning that Gundogan takes up. He's, for me, this season, when I've watched him intensely, and I mean, who wouldn't want to watch that man intensely? But in terms of a footballing point of view, he's looked like a second striker more than he has uh, a sort of uh, a box to box midfield, uh, sorry, a box to box midfielder that will be, or a number eight. You know his conventional positioning because he, he really does arrive late in the box. We all know that, but he's almost playing off Haaland as opposed to with him, which everyone else seems to be doing. You know the, the usual midfielders and wingers. Yeah, and I think this is also the way this has kind of panned out has been a little bit of good fortune in some ways. Um, Good fortune for Bernardo Silva and Ilkay Gundogan, I would say. You know, you've got an early season injury to Jack Grealish. Riyad Mahrez had started the season a bit quiet. Um, yeah, you could say that. Um, and therefore, we're kind of lacking in wing options. And with Gundogan starting the season so hot, it it, it pushed you know Bernardo Silva out there, and maybe we found. I will. I'll hesitate to call it a new thing because we've seen it in the past. I think mm. you know Bernardo Silva's best season up until last year was 2018-19, in which he was the right winger in all yeah. the big games. Um, my only fear is that we get if we see that system often, we're going to have a lot of games like Newcastle in which everything about our football is creeping into the middle, creeping into the middle. Mm. And if you get teams with a lot of pace out wide, like Newcastle and like Crystal Palace, I mean, Palace weren't that much of a threat on the break, um, as especially not, not as much as Newcastle. But yeah. I think that's where we're going to see a lot of issues. And I think, one, the addition of Sergio Gomez is is helpful in those situations. Um, but that is that is kind of my only fear with this situation. Um but at the moment, you know, it's what, three wins and a draw or two and three wins and a draw. So you can't really complain about it. I think you spot on, uh, you know, natural width helps a team a lot. And obviously two of the players City have let go in, in Gabriel Jesus and Raheem Sterling are naturally wide men, or, or at least Sterling is. And, and Jesus essentially found his feet there towards the end of his City career. But I, I don't think it's as big as an issue if you have someone like Phil Foden on the left-hand side who is going to stretch the pitch a lot more. It's when you then have him paired up with somebody like Jack Grealish who is going to naturally want to come inside again. And it does get a little bit clumpy in that middle of the park. So um, it'll be an interesting one to watch develop. As for as for any of those talking points then, I mean, what did we have? Three at the back formation should be our go-to. I thought it was a really interesting switch, that actually, because... Kyle Walker, again, now it's two weeks in a row we've been here. So you haven't been here, but we've discussed the, the former Kyle Walker. And I, and I was surprised, actually, when he stayed on the pitch and, and Cancelo was taken off. But that, that free at the back, I mean, it's difficult to analyse it properly because Palace were defending a 2-0, uh, 2-0 sort of, what do you call it? A lead. Bloody hell. Uh, they were defending a 2-0 lead and City were obviously piling the pressure on. So it, it's different when it starts at, 90, uh, at zero minutes and it's 0-0. But City just sort of... I, I, that, that's what I mean by saying that was probably City's best uh, 30 minutes on a football pitch this season because the control was incredible. And I don't think City have the personnel to play that free at the back. But 
including the Barcelona friendly, which turned out to be anything but, and the Crystal Palace game towards the last uh, the end of it. That's twice we've seen Kyle Walker deployed as a as a centre half and potentially something that could be a handy uh, weapon if City are chasing games. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily handy when City are chasing games. I think it's more handy when, in the, like in the final 20 minutes of the game against Palace, that you can pin a team, team in deep. You can put that three at the back with Kyle Walker included with his pace, and then you can kind mm. of just unleash everybody forward, pin the other team in deep, and control the game. Um, just on Kyle Walker, there's been, you know, the obvious shouts of that he is, you know, his form is starting to slip and, um, he was obviously beaten for pace a few times in that Newcastle game. It's worth pointing out that when he picks up these really central positions, he's got about an extra 20 yards to cover when, to get back out wide in order to shut down these wide counterattacks. So when you had the likes of, um, you know, Miguel Almiron or, uh, Alan St. Maximin or uh, Joe Willick that were kind of bursting down the the flanks, he's got to cover a lot more ground to get back out there instead of him naturally being out there. And that's becoming a little bit of an issue, I'd say. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't put any blame on Kyle Walker for his slow start to the season because I think he's put into a role that does not suit him at all. He's the mm-hmm. He is the one man on this in the probably in the entire squad that does not fit from a technical ability point of view that's no knock on Kyle Walker he's a fantastic player many people up until this summer would have argued that he was city's most important signing under Guardiola i was one of those people mm. um so i i think we need to slow down with the Kyle Walker criticism so far this season because i think he's a victim of his own circumstances at the moment for sure, completely, absolutely agree there. And um, just there's a moment in the in the Palace game actually when Kyle Walker was sort of coming infield and Guardiola said no, go back out. And then um, there, there was a change and there was a bit of confusion. And, and you can imagine that the sort of the the information Kyle Walker's having to take on doing this new role is sort of bamboo, like genuinely would bamboozle anyone. So the fact that he's sort of been able to find small doses of success so far in the four games. It is impressive. We'll wait and see how long it is persisted with because, I mean, it, it, it did look a little bit of an issue again. And I don't necessarily mean just in, on the transition. There's a few times in possession where he gave the ball away. And you, you can also imagine that when that sort of uh, weighing on your mind a little bit and you're being asked to do so much out of possession, when you do get the ball, it, it's infinitely harder again. So um, definitely one to watch. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously, you know what we're like. We're not going to be jumping to these sweeping conclusions. Would I like to see him in a more conventional position more this season? Perhaps. But there's a reason I'm sat here and, and Pep Guardiola's sat in the dugout. Um, what about a couple of those new arrivals that played then? We'll, we'll start with Julian Alvarez, who was mentioned a little bit later, uh, sorry, earlier on for some starting minutes. And he, he had some really neat touches in his little cameo, including a couple of what you describe as quote-unquote hockey assists. He's looking like a really, really bright spark as of late. And and do you see a route into the first team for him at the moment? I don't, and that's fine. Um, One thing to keep in mind when when a player like Alvarez is kind of consistently coming off the bench and playing well, um, 
that doesn't always automatically mean, okay, he should be playing from the start. That mm. might mean that his best role at the moment is coming off the bench late in games and influencing the game with fresh legs. And I mean that as no knock on him. I simply mean mm. that a player like him who presses well and is just generally a pest for the opposition is so useful coming off the bench with fresh legs. We saw that so often with Gabriel Jesus, Raheem Sterling, you know, these pacey, energetic players. They're a nightmare to deal with when you've been chasing shadows mm. for 75 minutes. Um, you know, we saw, I think in the Palace game, we saw him close down the keeper and and block a goal kick. Um, or maybe not a goal kick, but but the Palace keeper trying to play out from the back and you know, when you have been on the pitch for 70 odd minutes and somebody's been on the pitch for two minutes, they're going to mm. be moving a lot quicker to you. You're going to yeah. be reading the game slower. Everybody else around you is moving slower and they just, they're, they're like a brand new car. They're just running much quicker. Um, so I think that's a perfect role for him right now. And I would not change that, especially with given the fact that we don't have a ton of depth at the moment. So to be able to have somebody like him on the bench, and I know that obviously if he comes into the starting 11, that means somebody else from the starting 11 goes to the bench and the, the depth is replaced. I can count. Um, but it's just such a vital role. And when we are in these games in which we've used a ton of energy to come back a few times, you know, these, these aren't your typical city games in which we have an early lead and then we pass the ball around in a circle for 70 minutes and don't expend much energy we're expending a lot more energy to win these games now. So to have a guy like mm. him, young, energetic, just a pest, I, I think it's the perfect role for him is coming off the bench late. And eventually we will see more goals and assists. Um, we do have to remember he's still betting in. He's still in the dreaded first year for an attacking player at Pep Guardiola City, um, but he's doing pretty damn well. Yeah, interesting you say young lad there. He's older than Erling Haaland, so he's, he's, he's getting on but, a bit, isn't he? But he's still he's young. Getting, yeah, he, he's, no, he's, he's getting what, on. He's, what, 22? He's, clo- yeah, close to retirement. That's um, young. He's, yeah, he needs to be considering hanging up his boots. No, you're spot on. Um, I mean, you mentioned there coming off the bench, and, and, and it is an impact sub, but you know, that's not going to be his role forever. But at the moment, it's a great place to be. It, it's a little bit like... Having uh, in, in like a in, in a four by one hundred meter relay race, for example, it's like having. Now I don't know if uh, Usain Bolt ran the last leg. Somebody can tell me if I'm wrong, but I assume he probably did because he's the fastest runner. I don't even like think a, he ran relays. I don't think that's oh, what he did. Oh, he hundred percent did. hundred percent did. He? he did. I thought he, he was just the, like a short distance sprinter, but I don't know, and and I don't care either about it, people wait. running for no reason other than just running. But it, but it is short distance because it's four by one hundred meters. All oh, right, okay. So he's okay, still okay. doing. He's not doing like. You're like asking me 5K. to do meters, which means nothing yeah, to me. Right, okay. But but anyway, um, it, I, I'd assume he ran the final leg, but it's just like unleashing an absolute whip. It that, that's essentially what I'm getting at. You know, he's to have somebody like that, and, and he is bloody rapid. He, I, I would not. I won't want to be pressed by Erling Haaland because it would feel like a sort of avalanche and, and, and like a billion and one rocks falling on top of my head but I wouldn't want to be pressed by um, Julian Alvarez either because you can imagine he'd run at you and suddenly he's got the ball and, and you chase him back towards goal um, 
another another debutant. I know Alvarez wasn't, but he's he's new to the team. But this man was Sergio Gomez. He made his competitive debut as a substitute on Saturday. Uh, excuse me, Saturday. A couple of neat flicks and touches, including a, what you describe in the industry a rasping strike that went maybe not just over the crossbar, but but it, it sailed not too far away from the from the bar. For me, it, it felt a little bit like watching Zinchenko in a way, and in, in, in the absolute best sense of that comparison and you know everything good about Zinchenko that sort of seemed to be involved with um, Sergio Gomez on Saturday I think it's safe to say at this point he's absolutely not a conventional left back so some may argue that City is still waiting on uh, waiting to sign a left back I I don't think we'd really have one apart from Wilson Esbrand in the squad but but he does look to suit that role perfectly and, and he's really interesting player to watch as we go forward. Yeah, he looked good from what I saw. I ha- I have to be honest that I had I was triple screening at that point because I had um I had multiple other games that were work obligations yeah. for me at the time. Um but yeah, he came on, he kept the width. That's a new thing. Um he was he played very wide and and he's obviously got the technical ability to play in this team and um I think the real test we'll we'll see is when he starts having to deal with um, you know, some one-on-one defensive situations mm. and not that Zinchenko was the best at that, but he certainly got better over time. Mm. Um, will we have to see a betting in period like we did with Zinchenko when it comes to defending? I mean, there was times when Zinchenko was getting absolutely cooked down that left-hand side and that's fine. He's an attacking midfielder. He got placed there, um, you know, kind of with no warning and, and it took a lot of time. So that would be my only fear is if he takes time defensively but then again, I can't see him playing in situations in which um, he needs to do kind of exhaustive defensive mm. duties um, or intense defensive duties in a time in which we absolutely cannot concede a goal. Um, we're probably for at least a couple of months in Premier League games and Champions League games going to see cameos like this where we've got a little bit of a lead and he can come on and kind of dip his toe into the team. Um, but from what I saw, yeah, he looked, he looked like he fit right in and uh, looked like he was enjoying himself. And uh, that's all you can ask. Yeah. yeah. Just having yeah, fun. Yeah. As long as he's having a good time, that's all we want. Um, no, I mean, I he's one of them players for me that I, I don't see being thrown into the deep end at all because I think you can, you can have your confidence crushed Right, immediately, sort of, if you throw him on chasing a game, if you know, if he'd have come on at 2 0 and, and a, a pass had pinged off his leg and sort of been giving the ball away a couple of times, that's what could sort of really crush a player's confidence. So, as long as he's being used properly, I think he'll be a, a really good asset for City. I mean, to be honest, you said that you, you thought he kept the width well. This may be on me being in the stadium. I won't be surprised with you three uh, triple screening if you hadn't, if you'd have seen it better than me. But I was really impressed with how he picked up those positions in the middle of the park and, and sort of came in field to to get on the ball a little bit. And obviously, by nature, oh, sorry, um, he, he, he's, he's usually, or he grew up as a, a sort of of advanced midfielder then was moved out wide later on in his career so he definitely has that skill set um let's move on to some of the negatives then and, and we'll breeze through these because you know it's a, it's a happy safe space around here we've had a question from radar 2 hz who asks us um 
or sort of tells us to start off with recent opinion on Ruben Diaz as being that he's not been up to the standard he set himself in his first season. How far back do you think he started showing a dip in form? Was it his injury against Peterborough in the FA Cup? And does he need the consistent partner to be consistent himself? Um, a lot to sort of unpack from there, but essentially that there seems to be a couple of issues or a couple of concerns around Ruben Diaz's performances. I'll let you take that one first and then I'll, I'll come in a little bit later on. I haven't felt like his form has dipped. I think it's one thing that we should be shouting from the rooftops for the first couple of months of this season is that defensively city are going to look far more exposed for probably indefinitely um, because having this new number nine and not playing with a false nine means city that relinquished a lot of control, a lot of control and our center backs, fullbacks, they had a lot more cover in the last few seasons and not cover as in they get beaten. Someone is there waiting, but their cover was the fact that we didn't let a lot of teams counterattack on us. And therefore they had to do a lot less, Um, intensive one-on-one defending. Now they have to do a little bit more. And um, I wouldn't say Ruben Diaz is getting caught out. Um, He's, I think he's maybe started the season a bit slow, but other than Erling Holland, Ilkay Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne, who hasn't started the season a bit slow. Mm. Um, So I'm not concerned at all, to be honest. Does he need a consistent partner to be consistent? Yes. But I'd say that about any center back in the world. I don't think it's necessarily a knock on him that he can't adapt to situations or anything. I think any any center back would benefit from a consistent partner. And the best defensive teams like City have been in the past few years have had you know a designated pairing, whether it's John Stones and Diaz or Laporte and Diaz. Um, but I fear that for a while he's not going to have a consistent partner. Um, but to wrap all of that up, I'm not really that concerned. Mm. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll be honest, and, and again, this is completely on me. I hold my hands up if I'm I'm wrong here, but I haven't noticed any issues, particularly with Ruben Diaz's performance. He obviously he missed a lot of time at the back end of last season through injury. Came back and, and I mean, City started defensively the season quite strong. Obviously, back-to-back clean sheets. West Ham didn't really pose a challenge. Bournemouth posed, for me, a little bit more of a challenge, but still, it, it was a comfortable, as you like, um, afternoon. Came off the bench for the Newcastle game and I'm going to keep reiterating that was a a crazy game it was an anomaly for me and I don't think you can necessarily sort of pin anything on that game it was just one of those mental games 3-3 it happens Um, and and Saturday was a little bit like that too I feel the own goal so early on changes the entire complexion of that game and and the second goal is really poor from a defensive point of view but at the end of the day, it's still a set piece. I guess we'll open this up um, into the wider conversation, which I know you wanted to speak about quickly. Are City having, is there an underlying problem defensively with City at the moment? Because five goals conceded in the last two games isn't exactly, I mean, as nice as the, the comebacks are, that just isn't sustainable to be coming from, back from that every single week. Eventually, City will concede to. They may even concede a third, but they're not going to come back from it and it's going to be a defeat. Um, so do you think that there's any major defensive frailties? Or, as I've said, it's just two random games that have fallen back-to-back 
and who knows, Nottingham Forest could come around on Wednesday evening, another clean sheet, and, and suddenly things are looking rosy again. I'll have to be honest and say that I'm not yet convinced by this sort of 2-3-5 with the two fullbacks tucking inside. I felt like City have been exposed out wide essentially the entire season, and luckily Bournemouth did nothing to expose that, and West Ham did nothing to expose that despite having the tools to do that. Um, I fear we'll see more games like Newcastle because... There are a lot of really good teams in this league. You know, you mentioned Nottingham Forest. You look at some of the the pace that they have in that team with mm. Brennan Johnson. We saw Renan Lodi uh, just, just joined, which yeah. is weird. Mental, um, yeah. But, you know, any teams that play with width and pace are going to scare me. And I would love, would love to just have a written letter from Pep Guardiola that says, Dear Adam, this is why I've decided to tuck my two fullbacks into midfield and relinquish any cover out wide. I'd love to know that. And that's not me necessarily criticizing Pep Guardiola. He may be spot on with this and we will see it all play out. And as usual, we will be made to look silly. Mm. He will be made to look a genius. He'll collect his paycheck and his yearly stipend of trophies. And we are all idiots. That is probably... 99.99% what is going to happen. Yeah. At the moment, I watch it and I'm a bit intrigued and a bit confused because I feel like the negative sides of that system are obvious. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'm alone in that. No, no. And and the, the benefits, while you may say that City are able to snuff out counterattacks, the, the situation for them to be successful in doing that is so slim in the sense that they have to win the ball back off the midfield within seconds before they've even taken a touch. You know, they have to nip in and win the ball back. And or, they're good, they're good the at doing down. that. Probably yeah, the yeah, best yeah. team in Europe bar, you know, fully fit Liverpool at, at that counter press. But when yeah. that gets when that gets snuffed when out, when it, you get yeah. yeah, it's it's scary. Yeah, and, and, and it doesn't even have to be pinpoint counterattacking. All it has to be is a ball in the channel and the, the sheer amount of space that is in those channels at the moment, a player can be in. And and that is the worry a little bit. I guess we'll now tie it into Nottingham Forest, which is on Wednesday. Um, a first meeting between these two sides, City and Forest, since an FA Cup clash in January 2009, which is a bloody long time ago. Remarkable 3-0 victory for the the aptly named, almost, it's not my favourite nickname in world football, but the Tricky Trees. Um, they shocked City, Premier League City at the time. Nottingham Forest were in the Championship. I'll read out some of the City lineup from that day then for, for you, Adam, because it's... It's pretty interesting. Um, Joe Hart starting in goal, Zabaleta, Micah Richards, Richard Dunn, Michael Ball, Alano, Gelson Fernandez, who was replaced by Dietmar Haman, Vincent Company in midfield, Sean Wright Phillips, who was replaced by Darius Vassell after 24 minutes. Uh, <laughs> Wright Phillips getting a hamstring injury, I am, I'm led to believe, because I, I was at the game, but I definitely don't remember it. Um, Felipe Casado, uh, who came off for Joe, and Daniel Sturridge. I think it's safe to say both teams, including City, have changed a little bit since that game. Well, it's nostalgic for me. I mean, the any older City fans on here will be cackling at that, but this is the team that I fell in love with. Um, <laughs> so, 
You're not uh, alone. You're not alone. Yeah, no, we're we are we are babies at the end of the day. But um, yeah, I think it'll it'll look a little bit different this time around. Mm, yeah, I'd say so. Um, as for the here and now, then. I want to spend some time speaking about Nottingham Forest because they are a really, really intriguing team for me. You mentioned Renan Lodi there, who is joining. That takes them up to 18 new players for the window, which is insane. When you go on go on transfer market and just look at their ins and outs, I mean, they've had to replace, so you, you go fair enough, but 18 new players. could be 19 where they're bringing in the... Well, they had to usually- replace seven, right? If yeah, I'm... it was something like yeah. I think it was something like seven, eight were out of contract. Then they had yeah. a couple who were on loan. So you could have made an argument for fourteen I've, players or something like that. I think they're the past building. using that excuse now. <laughs> and I mean, they're bringing in the, the level-headed Serge Aurier to calm things down in the dressing room, which will be a, another interesting signing. But what have you made of their start to the Premier League so far? Because I'm glad a team like Forest are back in the Premier League. It may hold different cultural capital for me. Obviously, um, being in England, we're, we're sort of reminded of the, the European Cup success they had um, under Brian Clough. But I don't know for you as an American if it if that sort of that sort of like I say cultural capital doesn't exist as strongly as it does for for people in England. Um, it does for me. I'll sound like a snob for a minute and just essentially say that I uh, know my history. And therefore it kind of, it kind I mean, I, you know, I didn't grow up watching them or anything, obviously. Um, Mm. But, you know, I knew the significance of them returning to the Premier League in, in many ways, like Leeds returning in 2020, whatever it was. Um, You know, I didn't grow up watching them play. I didn't grow up watching City play them very often. Um, But I did understand the significance. And look, it's... um, it's been interesting to watch them. I I was praising them a lot on our, our Premier League preview. I mm. think I had selected them for the one newly promoted team to make kind of a push up the table, and that was before the, the real bulk of their spending spree. Um, mm. Obviously, the fear is, if you're a, a Forest fan, the fear is being a Fulham and getting too many new pieces and it doesn't mm. fit and, and it all collapses. Um, but I think Steve Cooper is a superb manager. I watched the game against Spurs today. Um, and other than kind of one lapse in concentration that put Spurs two goals up, they were really, really in that game. And they were taking it to Spurs for for most of that yeah. game. Um, this game is at the Etihad? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Um, that makes me feel a little bit better because City in their current state um, of kind of maybe looking a little bit defensively frail would worry me a little bit. But then again, Forrest aren't scoring many goals. Um, I think they have, I think I'm right in saying they have two on the season so far. Yeah, it looks like that. They got like one that. against Everton, yeah. And then they got, um, an, mm. oh no, they got, yeah, one against, one against, one yeah. against Everton. Yeah. yeah. So at the moment, it's not turning into anything. But then again, um, looking at their lineup today, you could probably say that the entire back three doesn't start over some of the signings they've made. A couple mm. of their attacking players are not going to start. Um, maybe one or two in the midfield, and Nico Williams is probably getting the yank for Renan Lodi. So we could even see a whole new team by Wednesday. Um, so it's kind of hard to judge them at the moment. 
Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned it there. He's been mentioned a lot on today's podcast. I'm probably going to go to sleep with his name ringing around my head, but Renan Lodi's come in. Jesse Lingard's come in. Remo Freuler from Atalanta has come in as well. And and they're three players who, this time last year, were playing Champions League football. And, and on the topic of this time last year, Nottingham Forest were bottom of the championship. Oh, sorry, they were they were second bottom. Um, Derby County had a points deduction, so they were they were technically bottom, but they were the team in the championship with the lowest amount of points accumulated after however many games it was. Um, so the job Steve Cooper has done is astonishing, and uh, I really, really, really want them to stay up. I don't want it to be after getting points against Manchester City, of course, but I really want them to stay up. I just fear there's a lot of jigsaw pieces and, and a board that is sort of, they're already crumbling off the side. And I mean, if Steve Cooper can get a tune out of some of those players, I mean, Jesse Lingard, we saw what he did at West Ham, but he's somebody who has been hit or miss in the past. Renan Lodi's fallen out with Diego Simeone, which I can imagine isn't a hard thing to do, but it sort of says, you know, if any players, if any manager's going to get discipline out of a player, it's Simeone. And and I mean, we'll, we'll final point then, we'll touch on the game itself. Obviously, Forrest travel to the Etihad. Heavy, heavy... What's the, what's the opposite of favourites? They're not they're not fancied to win. City underdogs, are heavy, heavy fa- underdogs. There we go. Yeah, underdogs. They're heavy, heavy underdogs. Um, whereas City are obviously massive favourites. City have had the frailties. We've touched on it. Forest have some good attacking players, but but how do you sort of see this game unfolding then? Um, I could see it being a bit similar to the Palace game. I think City will probably control the ball for most of the game, but. Forest will be threatening on the break. They've got some mm. some pace, some trickery. Um, I'm more interested to see... Well, I would say I'm interested to see if there's any rotation on the City side of things. But then again, who are you going to rotate in? Because at this point, I think there's like under eights on the bench. Um, <laughs> so I feel like we're probably going to have to see an almost identical lineup to the Palace game. Mm. We'll see if if Grealish maybe comes back in. I could see him playing from the start if he's fit. Um, But, you know, we said Mahrez has had a a slow start to the season. That's probably a a topic for another episode if he doesn't pick things up soon, especially because I almost dropped him from fantasy today. Fantasy (laughs) fantasy draft, which means a lot more because it's not like I can can replace him easily. I truly would, would be replacing him with like, I think I was going to replace him with a Brighton midfielder. That's that's where I'm at with Riyad Mahrez. So um, I'll be interested to see what the lineup is like because I think for a little bit we don't really have any choice but to kind of play same eight or nine mm-hmm. players every single every single game at the moment. Yeah, uh, we've bookmarked or sorry earmarked a, a segment in the the next podcast this week where we go over City's depth after the transfer window is finished and we're almost going to go through every position and and sort of check where City are light where City are strong etc etc so we'll wait in, until we'll, we'll wait to comment on that until the window shut but it does feel as if City are lacking a little bit in terms of rotation which could be a worry because I took a tweet out on Saturday after the Champions League schedule was confirmed, and the, and the run of games is is horrific, like genuinely horrific. So, even two or three injuries could be really detrimental for City in terms of making sure players are getting the adequate rest they need. Because Grealish and Phillips were the two absentees against Palace, and you don't really see, apart from Julian Alvarez, any viable sort of rotation. Unless now's the time for Cole Palmer to sort of be 
up to level into the in terms of seniority and, and you know be handed those Premier League starts in games like Nottingham Forest. You'd think these would be the games. Um, but, but yeah, but is that a risk in terms of not necessarily underplaying Forest, but you, you change the team too much? It offers a, a a a way in for the opposition, doesn't it? I don't know. I think if you and Pep Guardiola said this himself in the summer. If you're going to start betting in younger players to be true first team players and not, you know, we're not, Cole Palmer is not going to be the guy in which he plays 10 minutes in a Premier League game and then goes and plays 90 minutes for the the EDS side. Yeah. Um, he's, a, he's a true first team player now. And um, what's the point if you're not going to use him? Yeah. yeah. Like that's a waste of space on the bench, a waste of a, of a depth spot. Um I think this is the kind of game that you play him in. But then again, we've seen him get four or five minutes at the end so far in, in a few different games and no real meaningful minutes in which mm. his impact in the game is going to impact the scoreline or the outcome of a game. Um, so I don't know how I feel about it because do I want to switch things up and potentially leave gaps? No, but... At a certain point, you're going to have to start to bed some of these players in. And I think Cole Palmer is certainly top of the list as far as the the youngsters that didn't go out on loan or didn't get sold and um, their potential impact on the team this season. So, you know, maybe we look at Forrest and say, well, they're a lot better than your your classic promoted, newly promoted side, and therefore we need to play a stronger 11. But um I don't think the team suffers that much if, let's say, you get an I- identical ten from the Palace game, but Cole Palmer's in there on the right. You know that mm. that doesn't mm. worry me. Yeah. If we see, <laughs> you know, Alvarez, Palmer, Joshua Wilson, Esbrand, Calvin Phillips all come in and play, that I'm like, yeah. okay, that's a lot of new blood getting bedded in. But um, you know, maybe just Cole Palmer coming in that that wouldn't be a worry for me. Yeah, yeah, and I wonder if that little twenty-minute cameo is enough for someone like Sergio Gomez um, to be brought into starting eleven. You know, that just those one or two tweaks because it is a demanding schedule. I mean, it's back to back to back to back to back for for almost until the World Cup. So. Uh, rotation is going to be needed. It's just when you start that ball rolling because you don't want to play too much at the start of the season. That it, it, it catches up with you in the middle part of this sort of mini season before the World Cup. But equally, you want to make sure that you sort of you still you still competitive in games. There's no real room for slip ups. Um, I guess we'll I guess we'll call it a day there. Then um, any other business before we bounce? Obviously, first uh, week of the season where there's two games in it, so we'll be back with a review after the Forest fixture and, and looking ahead to Aston Villa at the weekend. But any other thing to say before we before we get out of there? I'm just happy to have midweek football. To be honest, yeah, yeah. It's like the the issue with the season starting is you're so deprived in the summer. And then yeah. it comes back and the six days in between games is like excruciating. So I'm glad yeah. to have, I'm a bit scared for the depth at City, but I'm glad to have games every three or four days because it just makes life a lot more exciting. I know what you're saying. I mean, everyone's complaining about the schedule secretly deep. And I mean, it is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But deep down, I'm I'm really looking forward to just having wall-to-wall football because it felt in COVID we had that, didn't we, with the behind-closed-doors season? But it was behind-closed-doors and it was it was really saturated and there was nothing really to I don't think for. I can remember many games from that season. Well, no, no. And, and usually I grew up with a sort of a, a library-like memory. I could tell you who scored, what minute, what, what game... 
now it may be my old age but i the 2020 my old age i just cannot remember any anything that happened in it um but yeah midweek football is great we'll wait and see what happens at the etihad stadium on wednesday evening until then i have been amos murphy i've been adam booker and we will see you later The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end of season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.